This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to Be Nation. Welcome back to a merry, merry edition of Bells of Books. I am your host, Miranda, and of course, I do not do this alone. I do this with one of my most amazing, beautiful, real-life friends. I promise she's real. I don't talk to myself. Bielka. Hello. I could just be a figment of your imagination, Miranda. You could be. You could be. I mean, we all have them, so it's quite possible. Did you see the trailer for the new movie with John Krasinski and Steve Carell? I it's called did. If. And Ryan Reynolds. It yeah. looks so good. And then those are figments of your imagination. Well, that's part of it. We don't really know. They're real, though. They're real. Well, they call them imaginary friends in the... Yeah. Um, that's why he's in... That's his wife's his name is If. Yeah. I thought that was cute. I really liked that. I'm excited for that. That looks so good. I know. I'm excited. <clears throat> Which I would not be surprised if there's some sort of children's book that comes from that. Or maybe there is because my kid is old enough now that I don't uh, frequent the children's books as often. But that could I, be... I definitely that, don't. So. <laughs> that could be a cute adaptation. Well, considering all the children's books I do frequent are in a whole other language to begin with. So, you know. <laughs> there's that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is that time of year. It is that time of year. It's award season. Yeah. Goodreads put out their uh, voting thing. You had Mm -hmm. they had uh, two separate rounds of voting, and their winners are out. Which I feel like I feel like they used to have a lot more rounds. Am I wrong? No, no, you're right. They okay. just had an opening round that was November 14th to the 26th, and then the final round was November 8th to the 3rd, and then they announced the winners on December 7th. Yeah, I just, I feel like in years prior, there were more rounds than this. I agree. I, I, it was very short this year. It didn't even I, last a month. No, I was, I was like, okay. I, I'm with you. Not only do I feel like it was short, I... um I feel like one, it used to be no longer is what I was trying to say. And two, that with it being longer, like more rounds, it began earlier. Yeah. I feel like. I think you're right. But we're going to go over the winners real quick. And Mm -hmm. if we've read them or if we want to read them, we'll give our opinions and so on and so forth. Yep. So for fiction, the winner was Yellow Face by R.F. Kwong. I personally have not read Yellow Face, but I've read a couple of books by R.F. Kwong and I loved them. Um, Yellow Face is on my TBR. I will get to it eventually. It I've is, heard nothing but good things about it. Same. It's on my TBR. I've heard fantastic. Um, but I put it on my TBR because of all the great things that I was hearing about it. So. Have you read R.F. Kong? I have not. I think you recommended something of R.F. Kong's to me. And I just, you know, never ending list of TBR, basically. <laughs> Um, I will say R.F. Kwong is a very smart, educated lady. Um, She has two bachelor's degrees, two master's, and is working on her doctorate, all while being a New York Times bestselling author. She, like, really knows her stuff. Um, I recommend Babel. Babel. Actually, I don't know how to pronounce that one. I've always assumed it was Babel, like the Tower of Babel, but I haven't read it, so I don't know. 
Yeah, it's really good. It kind of reads like a research paper, but uh, if you're in a good way or a bad way, in a good way. There's also um, uh, footnotes, like an actual research paper as well. Okay. And um, for those wondering, I'm not going to put the winners of the Goodreads into our show notes. If you just go to goodreads.com and click on the banner up top, it says announcing the winners. You can look at them all there. We're just going to go over them right here. I think there's also a couple of them that you're going to list that technically have been in our show notes in the past, too. Probably. Um, For historical fiction, Wayward by Amelia Hart. Yes. Um, I've never read this. I don't really know anything about it, but the cover is gorgeous. They have two different covers for this because I have the um, I have the UK cover and its cover is just as gorgeous. Um, Chef's Kiss, I gave it five stars. It will be in my list of favorite reads of 2023. Oh, yeah, it's um, from three points of view, um, but they're three generations of the same female line of family. Um, or different time periods. I wouldn't. I don't understand. Well, they are different generations, but they're not in sequence generations. If that makes sense. One is during like witch trials. One is during. I want to say it's shortly after or two. I'm very probably very wrong on that. And then one is like more modern day. Um, I would call it a witchy tale, um, but it was done very well. I would say trigger warning for domestic violence. Um, but I cried. This book was fantastic. Chef's kiss. Love it. Well, dang, now I'm going to have to get to that. (laughs) (laughs) For mystery and thriller, the housemaid's secret by Frieda McFadden one. Um, the, not the house. I think it's, there's another one by Frieda McFadden mm-hmm. that went mm-hmm. super viral on Book Talk. Yep. Um, but I never read it. I don't know anything about it, though. Um, for Romance, Happy Place by Emily Henry takes the prize. Which I expected nothing less. I did expect nothing less How when I saw the lineup, kind of, sort of. However, I haven't read this. This is actually one of the ones that I got for free from um, the MWR and Military Library program. Yeah. Um, but I remember when this first came out, a lot of people were going to Book Talk, Instagram, whatever, and they were angry because Emily Henry is typically always a romance author, and they were like, this was not a romance. They were it's like, this not. is a very good book, but this is not a romance. Yeah, it's not a romance. It's well, just like a regular women, fiction Women's book. fiction, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It was good, but I'm I'm with that. It's not a romance. I thought you had said that as well, but I couldn't remember for sure. Um, there is a new category this year that I don't yes. remember being in other uh, past years. It's romanticy. I think I think we are part of the girlies. Well, there's there's a lot of men men's involved too, but I think we are part of the faction that have made romanticy its own genre. I really Which right it needed to be. It did absolutely, absolutely. And I don't think it was to anyone's surprise that Fourth Wing just blasted everyone out of the water on that one. No, I think it will surprise people to know I did not give it five stars though. Oh, I didn't know that. I gave four. Oh, I thought you gave it five. 
No, it, it's up there. It, it it it's up there, but it had a couple of things that I was like. Uh-uh. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I still love it. I still want everybody that loves anything in the genre to read it. <laughs> um, in the regular fantasy category, Hellbent by Lee Bardugo. One. Um, I have not read Hellbent, but I, I read Ninth House, which is the the first one in the duology. Um. I didn't really care for Ninth House. Like, it was okay. So, I didn't read Hellbent. In Sun... Correctly, Go ahead. really quickly. Does this series of Lee Bardugo's fall more under, like, horror fantasy? Or am I incorrect in thinking that? Uh, I guess it could. Okay. I feel like somebody told me that. And, and I just, like, went with it. So, I just wanted to ask real quick. It... It does have horror elements, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's horror. Okay. Um, if anything, it reminded me of Babel. It was very academic. Okay. Okay. Um, science fiction. In the Lives of Puppets by TJ Klune won that one. Not surprised. Um, I read it. I personally did not vote for it. Um which one did I vote for in the science? Fiction? I was going to say, I'm trying to remember now who the other options were. Uh, what did I vote for? I don't recognize any of these. Maybe I did vote for In the Lives of Puppets because I didn't read anything else in here. I Maybe I did. Voted, I don't know. I voted for that one because um, I can't hear. I have not heard anything derogatory, basically, about any time someone who I value their opinion on books has said anything negative about in the lives of, uh, or excuse me, not this book specifically, but TJ Klune specifically. Yeah. Um, I know that they have, there's been books that they've liked more than the others, but I did vote for this one. I have not read it. It is on my want to read, but because I, I, don't, I don't know, some people are like, I don't vote if I hadn't read anything in that category, but when I do vote, I make a conscious decision based on, you know, people's opinions that I do value, um, other reviewers that I follow that I value their opinion, which is different than like people. Cause when I say people, I mean like you or Ellen or Susan or someone like that. If they come to me and say, I love this. Like those are people I value their book opinion. So, yeah. Um, I have read in the lives of puppets. I gave it two stars. Um, because I've read other TJ Klune books, mm-hmm. I had a certain expectation going in. Um, this one did not live up to, to those Klune expectations personally. Um, it is my least favorite of the ones I've read. And is this also the one that there's a lot of things in it that don't make sense? And when you and I were doing some research, we found out that it was actually supposed to have gone a very specific way. And yes. when they did, so it was supposed to have been that the main character is absolutely on the autism spectrum. And they did like a, I don't know, it was a very small sensitivity group. I mean, I want to say it was only like five or ten people. And there was like one person out of the whole group that was like, yeah, this is insensitive. Uh, you shouldn't do this. So the only things they changed is they took out the sentences that explain that that person is autistic or specifically call out the autism. And as someone hasn't read it, I don't know if that would have made it better if they'd left it in or not. I also think if you have a sensitivity group and only one, and my understanding is the sensitivity group was people on the spectrum. So it wasn't like they just picked random people to decide. 
that to speak for others. But like, if you only have one person that's like, you shouldn't do that. Why did you do like, why? Like, I don't know. I'm very confused by that. Well, and um, me plus a couple of the other people I know that have read it, we all discussed it after we read it. And this book would just trying to think of how to phrase this. It would randomly with no like context around it, insert sexuality and just like leave it alone and then just move on. And it would just take you out of the story where it was just like forced DEI basically. And we were all just like, this is not it. Like, and that's coming from people who are part of the LGBTQ Kind of like the thing with the group. people are actually part of a group that can speak to that. But they were all like, they were all just like, this is not how you go about this. Why are we, why is this being forced on you? Yeah. It felt very forced. It wasn't natural. Okay. Fair. Um, yeah. But like I said, I love TJ Klune. Um, House by the Cerulean Sea, five out of five stars. Amazing. I don't remember how much you loved that book. Okay, moving on to horror. Um, I this comes as no surprise to anyone. It goes to Stephen King. Actually, I think it's, I'm actually very surprised and I'm angry. Um. Oh, what's going on on your end? Well, me saying I'm angry. No, I was like, woo, 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 woo. oh, I don't know. Sorry, sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what that was. <laughs> I did not hear it. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> so woo, 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 woo. I'm angry. Well, maybe um, it knew the horror. The horror gods heard me, and I, <laughs> Stephen King heard me, and he's trying to censor me because I was saying, as the woo 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 happened, um, that I was shocked that he won, and I was angry. I was angry too because there were two other books that I voted for in this round that I really wanted to win. I absolutely um, would have been happy with a couple of these. Um, we have talked about several of these on the pod before, and I don't think it comes as any surprise that how I feel, because I've made this exact statement regarding Stephen King before, and it was, this sounds really bad. I would never tell anyone to do drugs, but he was better at writing horror. And I do still think he is the king of horror, I, but I think it's slowly being taken away from him. But I think he was better when he was on the drugs. <laughs> and I just don't well, think it's good anymore. Grady Hendrix is better. The in the first round of voting, I voted for A House with Good Bones by T. Kingfisher. Also fantastic horror writer. Yeah. It was so good. I loved that book. And then like we said, How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix made it to the second round. Yeah. Um, but Stephen King won out by almost thirty thousand votes. So I am wondering because obviously we have said that we vote in sections that we haven't necessarily read a book on and we make a conscious decision based on different factors. So I'm wondering if there are a lot of people that don't read horror and came to this and they were like, Oh, Stephen King, he's good. Click. Yeah, probably to have, I think to have that many extra votes, I think you have to. He had 77,993 votes out of 295,053. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> anyway, um, this is probably, this is in my top three books of the year for young adult fantasy, Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross won. I was so happy with that. 
so so happy with that i'm okay with that i haven't read it but i've heard great things the sequel um divine vows something vows something i can't remember um but it comes out next week or is it the week after it comes out late december yeah yeah um, for young adult fiction, Allie Hazelwood, Checkmate. Um, I've only read one Allie Hazelwood book. It was the Rilo or Kylo fan fiction. Oh, yeah, I read that one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it was cute. Um, I mean, I am interested to read Checkmate because I want to know how the young adult side of her writing is. Same, because I thought she was pretty much mainly... I don't want to say adult as in like Bianca no no adult, but I thought she was not really much of a YA. I thought it was Yeah. Hey, that the one book I read had some Bianca no no's in it. Oh, that's right, it did. I had forgotten about that. <laughs> I got to it and I was like, oh, skipping the next few pages here. <laughs> I had forgotten it does. Yeah, it does. Okay. Uh next category, debut novel, Wayward One Again. So excited. In nonfiction, Poverty by America, the author is Matthew Desmond. I know nothing about this book. I've never heard of anything about that. Uh-uh. In memoir and autobiography, Britney Spears, The Woman in Me, took the crown. I don't think anybody expected anything. To, I Honestly, I, I figured it would be between her and Harry's book. And I think what probably... Yeah, I thought Harry would have won. I thought he would have won, but what I will say... I think the reason he didn't, his came out at the beginning of last year, if you remember. So it's been out for a full year already. And yeah. Britney's book has only been out. A couple of I, months. Yeah, just a couple of months. October. She came out at the end of October. So I think, and it was so spoken about, and she has such a following. And I know Prince um, Harry does too, because I, obviously I'm a royal, I'm a royal person. So I read it. You know I did. Um, Because I talked about it. But I think that's why he didn't get as many votes. I think the people that wanted her details were far. um, And she came out sooner. So it's still fresh, basically. Which, in the first round of voting, I voted for Becoming Free Indeed by Ginger Duggar Volo. She's part of the the Duggar clan. And it Mm -hmm. was basically how she came to terms with her childhood and how she's dealing with it now as an adult. I really liked it. But then after that, I voted for Brittany. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I voted for Prince Harry. Um, history and biography, the wager by David Gran. Um, I know nothing about that. Me neither. Didn't so know. congratulations to David Gran. And then the last category is humor. Being Henry by Henry Winkler won. I voted for him. I'm always going to vote for Mr. Henry Winkler. So. Everybody should vote for the Fonz. <laughs> and those I, are your 2023 Goodreads Choice Awards winners. Yeah, I'm pretty overall. I'm pretty happy with the selections. There's a couple we have, we just discussed that I was like not happy with or a little surprised by. But overall, I think this year... Because sometimes I think these go sideways for sure. Because you don't yeah. have to read the book. Um, and it's also easy to go. Even if they said. Even if Goodreads changed the rules. And was like you have to have read the book to vote. It's too easy to click and say you have. Yeah. That's way too easy to be like. Nope. Yeah. Done that. 
But, well, some yeah. some TV news. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Things We Never Got Over by Lucy Score has been greenlit for Amazon MGM Studios. I haven't read this book, but it has been super hyped over on the book talk. Mm-hmm. I have a friend that, that it's just, she gushes about it. It is her Roman Empire. She is here for a Lucy Score. Like, she... I actually asked her, I was like, well, since you love this so much and people compare Lucy and Colleen, I think we've even seen a thing where they accidentally put some of Lucy's books in Colleen's section, like with her books, like thinking that Colleen wrote them as well. So I actually asked my friend, like, okay, well, then what's your favorite Colleen Hoover? And she, she knows who Colleen Hoover was, but she was like, uh, excuse me, Colleen who? And I was like, fighting words, but okay. And then I'll let you talk about the next one, Miranda. I, I'll be kind of brief about it. I just thought it was <clears throat> really fascinating. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. I've been into the weather. So. Um, I thought it was really fascinating because I know this author is kind of controversial sometimes. I've heard he's not very friendly when um, people like gone to meet him and stuff. I've heard he can be a little bit of like a, do you know who I am? And I don't know if that's, true or if he was having a bad day um and you and i have joked about how he is basically in every section of the bookstore and or library because he is <laughs> he is um and that's james patterson but the reason this um article caught my attention is because i thought it was fascinating he is donating three hundred thousand dollars of his own pocket of course obviously we know that's a tax write-off but still it's a nice it's a very nice thing to do He is doing an annual holiday bookstore bonus program where 600 employees at independent bookstores throughout the country, throughout the United States, are going to be getting $500 bonuses. And I think this is fascinating because it seems like for the past couple of years, don't get me wrong, Amazon is still huge. Barnes & Noble is still huge. Books a Million is, um, I think, still huge in certain areas. But um. I've noticed that independent bookstores are getting more love than they deserve. Um, But even then, they may not, they may still kind of struggle a little. So I think the fact that he's going to not just booksellers, but independent booksellers, um, workers to be eligible for this, they could nominate themselves for a bonus. They could be nominated by a customer, the store owner, coworkers, um, even authors and people in the publishing businesses, because some of the independent bookstores um, get very, I don't know, friendly. Yeah, that yeah, that's the right word. But they um, they develop a, a relationship with these publishing companies and these authors because sometimes they'll set up events or carry this specific author like not exclusively, obviously your bookstore, but you know, like in mass. Yeah. So. Um, the application is 250 words or less, and it's like, why does this bookseller deserve a holiday bonus? Um, he has actually done something similar before and has awarded millions of dollars to different bookstore workers, librarians, and even teachers. And there are actually, there's a list, a full list of recipients. A lot of them are in Massachusetts, I'm noticing. I don't, I don't know what that is um oh they're bonus recipients for our massachusetts bookstores because i believe his home is in massachusetts so 
but there is a full list that maybe you can go see if your favorite bookseller won the $500 bonus or maybe the bookstore near you that you frequent. Um, someone there got it. I just, I don't know. I think it's just really part of filling into our little merry holiday here. And I guess regardless of like how he may sometimes come off when he does signings or events, this is a fantastic thing to do, especially at an independent bookstore. So I thought yeah. it was neat. I'm glad he's getting good press for once. <laughs> right. I don't, again, I don't really necessarily think that he's like a bad person or anything. It's just sometimes you hear some negative comments about how he's behaved in, in public or, and just kind of acts, I guess the only word to use is a little diva-ish. <laughs> well, now we're going to get into a little bit of statistics for the people out there. Um, ALA, the American Library Association, put out an article. It's titled... Gen Z and Millennials, how they use public libraries and identify through media use. Um, and it was just very interesting. I shared it with Miranda a couple weeks ago. Um, so I'm just going to go over some stats so we can all know how Gen Z and Millennials use the library. 54% um, of Gen Z and Millennials visited a physical library within the last 12 months. Libraries attract even those who don't identify as readers. 23% of Gen Z and Millennials visited a physical library in a 12-month period and did not identify as readers. Um, Subscription-only and or mobile exclusive content provided in apps such as Webtoon, Radish, and Audible is particularly popular with Gen Z and Millennials. 12% subscribe to webcomics. My brain just like skipped over three lines. 12% of Gen Z and 8% of millennials subscribe to webcomics. 30% mm -hmm. of Gen Z and 38% of millennials subscribe to Audible. 52% of Gen Z and millennials physical library patrons said they borrowed from library digital collections. I am one of those. I use Libby. Mm -hmm. I use Libby. Yep. Um, Black and Latinx physical library patrons use digital collections more than the general survey population. Um, blacks use 58% and Latinx use 57%. 75% of Gen Z and millennial physical library patrons believe a library wait of one week or less is long. That kind of hurts my heart. <clears throat> What, to wait for a book? Like, to put a book on yeah. hold? There. Yeah. Like, well, if, they have to, if they have to wait for it, they think a week is too long. I kind of am with them, and I will say that that is part of our get-it-now society. And that's universal. Or like, yeah, that's, like, globally, if you think about it, really. I mean, the fact that you're giving really good statistics on, like, how many people have Audible, and you think about Kindle and the like, Libby app, and you can have it, like, right then. And then the amount of places that... Uh, you know, Emperor Bezos can have us something within, you know, same day, next day, two days. So I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, it still hurts. Cause it does like, hurt. I'm just not for, surprised by it. 
For example, if you use interlibrary loan, the average wait time to get an ILL is about 10 days. Oh, yeah. That's, be that's because you have to have it shipped from whatever library in the country is willing to give it to you. And we used interlibrary loan a lot um, in Germany um, through the military system. And <laughs> we not only are having to get it from another library, but like it may be coming from, you know, coming to us in Germany at Ansbach from Vincenza in Italy. So yeah. our anytime we would request something, I probably I wasn't going to see it for about two, maybe three weeks. Yeah. Every now and, and then I got lucky, but no. And then the last one that I'll go over is overall social media use, cross-media identities, and subscription engagement characterize Gen Z and millennials in contrast to other generations. Which, that's fair. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. So if you want to look it up, if you just Google ALA, Gen Z, and Millennials, how they use public libraries, you can read this article for yourself. It is written by Drs. Behrens and Nuorda from Portland State University. I skimmed through it because I was, I was intrigued. I think it is fascinating. Um, there was another article where I was reading where they went and talked to, like, a group of Gen Zers, and they were asking them, like, did you – did you know that you can get a free library card? Do you know where your library is? Do you know what resources they offer to see, like, what they say? <clears throat> and I was kind of shocked that their, that one that they did, they were like, no, I didn't know. I thought you had to pay for a library card, which in some instances you do, but that's, like, few. Um, and then I... <laughs> I've heard out of a mouth of a Gen Zer before. I wish there was a place that we could just go, like borrow these. I don't want to pay for them. And I was like, "You need like a Okay. But it makes me happy that libraries are still going strong. Oh, absolutely. And I think people do fail to forget sometimes the amount of resources that are available at libraries and I know people will say something like um, you know my public library doesn't have this or doesn't have that in order for them to get the funding they have to show that you will use it so if you have a public library and you are a reader or you need something printed just make use of them so that they can continue to be there yeah. and now ladies and gentlemen we are going to get into the meat of today's podcast. Um, as everyone probably knows by now, both Miranda and I love our little Christmas movies that give us the warm and fuzzies and they're kind of cheesy. So, <laughs> so we kind of chose a book along the same path. Mm -hmm. We are going to talk about A December to Remember by Jenny Bayless. This um, actually came out this year. It was just published this year, November 9th of 2023. Currently on Goodreads, it has an overall rating of 3.72. Um, it kind of falls into Christmas, holiday, contemporary, romance, women's fiction. I don't know. It checkmarks a lot of boxes, basically. To me, this one's more family-oriented. I than, thought so, too. I mean, there's, than anything else. there's romance aspects. But it's um, a lot it's very much a family dynamic. Yeah, 
I, I kept the whole time I was reading it, I kept wanting to say found family. And then <clears throat> I was reading something somewhere where someone else tried to say found family. And they were like, you can't say that. They are family from the beginning. And they are, but they're estranged. So I felt like this whole story without going, like we're about to get into it. But I consider it partly found family because as they're going through the book, they are finding each other back, their way back to each other, essentially. Like, which this is my second Jenny Bayless book. I've also read the 12 dates of Christmas. That one was pretty cute as well. You did I read that one last year. Yeah. yeah. And she does apparently a lot because she also has um, meet me under the mistletoe and a season for second chances. Those are her. I haven't four read words. any of those. Yeah, I have not either. But those are her, four, it looks like those are her only works right now. So yeah, she apparently has found her niche and she's sticking to it. Good for her. Yeah. <laughs> but now we're going to get into the discussion of the book. So if you don't want to hear it, skip ahead. But first. Can I your overall real quick before we like go into spoil it? Like how many... How many stars did you give it when you finished it? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Let me pull oh, it up, Goodreads. <laughs> yeah, I put I gave it four. Okay. I gave it five. I actually okay. did give it five. I teetered back and forth, but there was something that, that sent me there. So four I feel like I feel like three and a half would be more accurate for me. I, I do wish we've said this both of us time and time again. I wish there was a way to denote the half. Because it does matter. A four yes. and a half versus a five, it is a difference. A three and a half versus a four, it is a difference. Yeah. So. Um, I gave it so three. if you don't want to be spoiled, come back. I gave you it three and a half Sorry, because, I, I give it three and a half because uh, there were some parts I feel like could have been left out and I would have been okay with it. Um, some things just like were very prolonged. And I was just like, okay, okay let's let's that. move on to the next plot point now. Especially as the type of reader that you are, because we do, we are, blah, 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 words are hard. <laughs> um, we like a lot of the things, same things, and we tend to read from the same genres, but we're different style of readers. And a lot of times, I don't think this is rude, but uh, I don't know how to word it. Like, you kind of want them to get to the point. You're like, I don't need that. Yes. And then yes. I'm like, give me all the things. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I want to know why they bicker each other. Like, I want to know, like, what made their dad quirky. Like, yeah. And you're like, okay, don't care. He's dead. Move on. Well, and there was, um, it took me a little while to get into the book because at the very beginning, it's just info dump. There's it, a lot. I would agree. Yes. A, a lot, lot of info dump. Very fast, too, I felt like. Um, because you have technically three main characters. Mm hmm. And you just, you get basically their whole life story in the first three chapters. And I'm like, wait, I need like a family tree and a map to see where everyone's living and right. what's going on. And it just would have been very helpful. <laughs> They're all sisters, but they didn't grow up together because their dad, he was. He was he, a unique he individual. <laughs> he, was, he was a latest man. I think, I think I'll have to pull. He was very mind. free spirit. Yeah, he was a free spirit. Just world traveler, very unique. And so they basically were predominantly raised by their mother. Um, so they do all have separate life stories, basically. 
like, in different, they grew up different ways too. So yes. I get what you're saying there. Like, wait, 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 yeah. family tree, like what? So the book actually opens with a prologue. Um, we learn the man, Augustus Balthazar North. He is the owner of North Novelties and Curios, a family business that has been handed down since 1740. Um, and he basically travels everywhere and he just collects antiques or anything that he thinks is interesting and he brings it back to his shop. I want this life. <laughs> and then we finally get into chapter one. Um, in the very first chapter, Augustus dies in his camper van in the Italian Alps, just shy of his 96th birthday. Good for you, Augustus. 96, yep. just hanging out in the Alps. Yep. He had See, three estranged daughters, Maggie, Simone, and Star. Yep. Um, Maggie actually lived in the same village as Augustus when she was grown up, but um, she never really saw Augustus because he was just always gone living his own life. They spent like summers. They all spent summers there, I think. Yes. That's just, that's not explained till later. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, all of Roman Thorpe village where they lived, everybody turned out for his funeral. Everyone loved Augustus. He was just, a very nice man. No one could say anything bad about him. Um, and everyone in the village was just very accepting of his way of life. He was a free spirit who made friends on his travels around the world. Everyone wanted to pay their respects. And all three of his daughters have different mothers, but the girls would come to stay with him for four weeks every summer. And while Maggie did live in the same village as Augustus, she certainly did not get any more attention than Simone or Star. Maggie has two children of her own, Patrick, who has just turned 20 and is attending university, and Verity, who is 10. Side note, when the, they said the daughter's name was Verity, I freaked out a little bit. I didn't freak out, but I was like, ah, because really I've only <laughs> ever heard it. In those, it, this book and Colleen's book, I've never heard it any other time. I was just like, oh, oh PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Side note, if y'all have not read Verity by Colleen Hoover, go do it right now. Absolutely <laughs> should. But don't expect it to be like your typical Colleen at all. No, no, no. Um, okay, back to December to remember. So Maggie is kind of put in charge of heading up the funeral by herself since her sisters don't live in town. And Joe, her boyfriend, is helping her as much as he can and as much as Maggie allows him to. Which at this point, they absolutely refuse to say boyfriend. Like, yes. Um, Maggie is very, mm. like, strict with how everyone perceives her. And she doesn't want her relationship with Joe to be public because Joe also works for her. And I think she's also, at this point, she's still sensitive to the fact that she has two children who her husband had died. She's a, wi a widow. Mm -hmm. And she's just, she has trepidations about bringing a new man into their lives, which understandable. Yeah. She was just very secretive about it. And the more you get into the book, the more you realize how much it aggravates Joe to be so secretive. Like, he doesn't want to hide. 
Moving into chapter two, we are introduced to both Simone and Star. Um, Simone grew up with Renee, and she was just a very standoff person. Um, she made sure Simone was like physically cared for, but her emotional well-being was just kind of always left to the wayside. And then we're introduced to Star and her mother. Um, Star's full name is Heavenly Stargazer Rosehip. I loved this so much. Uh, made me so happy. <laughs> and her mother's name is Perdita. And if you can imagine someone who would name their daughter Heavenly Stargazer Rosehip, <laughs> then you can get a good idea of Perdita. <laughs> yep. Um, Lilybeth was Maggie's mother. She passed away 10 years ago. So now Maggie has lost both of her parents. Um, and yeah, that, I think that's like the long and short of just the info dump. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, when you start this book, you kind of need a family tree. <laughs> um, so we're at the funeral. Everyone shows up, including Simone and Star. Everything is very uh, tense. The sisters don't really know how to interact with each other. There's that woo-woo-woo again. I don't know what the woo-woo-woo is. <laughs> woo-woo-woo. It, it sounds like you're like at a concert. That bass is going heavy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I hope it's enjoyable. <laughs> okay, so after the funeral, the wake <clears throat> is held at the Stag and Hound, which is the local like village pub restaurant, basically thing. It, yeah, it's a, it's a pub. It's a it's a beer and fish and chips kind of place. Like yeah, and the three sisters walk in and they see all. I'll say all because there are many of them. All of Augustus's former lovers are trading their stories of how they met Augustus and where they spent time together and just having a grand old time in the pub. <laughs> Which should tell you about something about Augustus as well, because it seems like he didn't when he decided he was he was done with the relationship and moving on. Seems like he was not a. A, a bad person like it seems like he just was like whoever got involved with him just knew that he was just like fading into the night like, <laughs> <laughs> well see the only thing <clears throat> excuse me sorry i had to cough it's okay um the only thing that threw me off about all of this was renee simone's mom for her to be like so standoffish like that and kind of like lack of a better word, prudish is the vibe I was getting. I was like, then why was she ever with Augustus? Hey, opposites attract. I mean, I guess. It happens. But, it happens. But that's like the one thing that just like bugged me the entire book. <laughs> because like Miranda said, um, the three sisters were basically raised by their mothers. Mm-hmm. And then they only saw Augustus for like a month out of the year. So... Their mothers were the one raising them, so they took on their mother's personalities more than Augustus. Oh, for sure. I mean, you can see as we go through the book parts of Augustus and each of them that I think maybe they didn't want to admit. But 
they they're more like their mothers and that it's even kind of brought up yeah the only the only characteristics that all three sisters share are they have the same color green eyes that augustus had they're called the north eyes Mm -hmm. um simone is very athletic and fit star has like this beach surfer california bohemian vibe going on and then maggie it's like reinforced throughout the book that maggie is pale (laughs) oh yeah like i was like is she like a victorian child like she's me sunscreen all the time if she gets sick and walks by a mirror she's like "Ooh, death has come Um, In chapter five, we learned that Maggie has been served with an eviction notice for both her home and her business because in her village, like her business is basically on the bottom floor of a building and she lived upstairs, which from what I understand is very common in Europe. So when Maggie got an eviction, her business was on the bottom and she lived up top in the building. That's extremely um, normal. Mm-hmm. So when she got the eviction notice, she's basically losing her house and her income. <clears throat> yeah. Um, she's been trying to fight it. So she hasn't told anybody besides Joe. Joe is the only one who knows. Um, let's see. All three sisters have been solicited for the will reading. And we find out that Simone is on her third round of IVF. Um, she and her I don't know. Does it say they're married or partners? They are. It's their okay. it's her wife. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yvette. Uh, trying to have children. But while, while she's like traveling for the will reading, she gets her period. So it like start the book starts off very sadly for Simone. Um, mm-hmm. You're just because you get all three of their perspectives. You get Maggie's perspective, Simone's perspective and stars. And Simone is just very depressed. Um, yes. She, she wants a child, like, the most out of anything in the entire world, and her body is just rejecting it. I struggled with Simone. I remember texting you, and we were talking about, was like, this is, like, I feel so bad for her. And I think you said something along the lines of, like, her, yeah, her story is really sad, because you weren't that far ahead of me. Um, when we were reading uh, but as the book went on there were parts where like she also irritated me um, and since we're already like I, I because at some points and I apologize to anyone who has struggled if this is how they became as well I'm not being I'm not trying to be mean but I felt like at certain points she was that's all it consumed her in such a manner that she didn't care how she was treating other people yeah, she was very, very mean to both Maggie and Star, yeah. Star, Star most of all. So I felt like um, horrible for her and my heart broke through the majority of the book with Simone. But I also found myself getting very angry at her because I thought, I can't imagine, I've not been in her, I am a mother, but I've not been in her shoes. Um, I, I didn't have to go through IVF or anything. So I, I can't even begin to imagine that process, but I was very like put off with the fact that she was just so consumed with it that she would be so mean to everyone around her. But well, again, and she was even mean know. to she was even mean to Yvette, and Yvette was like, "You yeah. need to go to this will reading. You need to take a break from everything." It's basically like we're I still love you, and you're still my wife, but we need we need to separate. Like I need a minute. Like yeah. 
you're going to be mean to me. At some point, she's either mean to her niece, or niece, her um, nephew Patrick. Like, she just ends up being mean to, like, everybody at one point, minus with the little niece. Uh, yeah. I think she's yeah. the only one in the book that she's not rude to. Yeah. Um, after after we get all of Simone's story, we kind of get into Star's. Star is also being evicted from her place because the other tenants are complaining about her and basically how she lives life. Um, her boyfriend, Stu, is being sent to jail for drugs for like the third time, I think. Like he's been in and out of jail. And it sounds like she's used to couch surfing, I guess is the way I put it. Like she's kind of very free spirited like her dad was. The difference is I think she hops from like job to job and like place to place because she's just yeah. not sure what she wants to do with her life like where she wants to be or what she wants to do and we find out that star had once stayed with simone and yvette and Stu, like she had broken up with Stu at one point and Stu had found her while he was while she was staying with them and then he ended up staying the night and robbing the house <sighs> um simone blamed star and hasn't really talked to her since. Um, so I Star. Well like, <clears throat> well, like I understand, but it's not Star's fault. Yeah, you can't. I think it was a guilt by association is how she treated her. Yeah. We just get the, we get the sense that Simone is just a very jaded person. Yeah. Which I get, again, I get, but... Um, when Star gets to Rowan Thorpe, she actually decides to stay at Augustus's flat since no one else is staying there. Um, and Augustus has already provided for an appraiser to come to the shop to see what everything in his shop is worth. Uh, let's see. Now we're at the will reading. Augustus has left everything to his three daughters as long as they complete two quests, as we'll call them. The first is to be handed out by the lawyers or what they call solicitors. Mm -hmm. And the second quest is to bring back the traditional winter solstice celebration to the village. The village has not celebrated the winter solstice in many years and Augustus wanted it brought back. If the sisters cannot do this, the estate will be divided up between several different charities. Um, while they're at the will reading, the sisters start bickering and, like, fighting. And Vanessa, the lawyer, has to interrupt them and be like, are y'all done? Can we continue? I like Vanessa. She was one of my favorite people in the book. <laughs> okay. So, the first task that Vanessa hands out is to find 32 Monopoly houses in this shop. When they do find them give them to the lawyers, and then the sisters will receive a key to a lockbox that holds the deeds and the details to plan the solstice celebration. So they basically have to find these Monopoly houses before they can do anything else. So... I thought it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so they, like, immediately leave the lawyers and they go to a shop to just start looking for these houses because the way that the shop is described... <laughs> All I could picture was the room of requirement from Harry Potter. <laughs> oh 
you just walk in this room and there's just stuff piled everywhere up to the ceiling and there's no order there's like no system to anything it's just stuff and I was just like it's the room of requirement (laughs) I pictured actually there's this used bookstore I used to shop at and she had it was very cozy but like in one room she'd have books like floor to ceiling with some chairs to sit in and then another one it would you know that's kind of what I pictured I don't know why that's what I where I would it is described as long and never ending with aisles only big enough for one person. Um, as they get to the shop, Mr. Duncan Stedman, the appraiser, shows up. And the way I texted you this, you the way he's <laughs> the way he's described, I can only picture Zachary Quinto. <laughs> and see, you said you said that I I didn't, and I still can't find this guy. But there's a guy that he is sometimes in Hallmark movies. And that's where my brain went because in one specific Hallmark movie, they have him play an accountant where he always wears these sweaters with the, um, like the blazer over the top of the sweater and glasses. And I don't know why, but I saw, he's a nice looking guy too, but I, I saw him like I saw that. That's who I saw for the rest of the book. I'm guessing he does not look anything like Zachary Quinto. <laughs> They're both like, yes and no. They both are that slim, taller, dark hair. So kind of, but okay. enough different that you can look. They're not, you know how sometimes you have actors and actresses that you'd be like, they could be related. It's not that close. It's not. Okay. Close. Yeah. <laughs> um. So while Duncan gets started appraising everything, the sisters try to find all the houses. Maggie finds the first one in a random instrument case. Simone finds a second one in another case. And then Miss Radley arrives. Oh, my God, I love her. She's my favorite. (laughs) Miss Radley always has some stories to tell. She is something. I, she's my favorite. I know you really liked the solicitor. Miss, Miss Radley is, she's there for me. (laughs) Um, So she starts to tell them about an amusing tale of her and Augustus. And I'll leave it at an amusing tale. Is she that what did. when I texted you? Yes. <laughs> I gotta see. Let me see. Hang on. I have to say what she says. What okay. She? This, I didn't make a note of it. Um, he was a, he was very good at sex, and he very much. Oh, this is not a direct quote. This is what I said to you. I said, "Oh my God, I just spit my drink." The whole, and I put this in quotations. It's paraphrasing her though. It, he was very good at sex, and he very much like horses. <laughs> And Ms. Radley says these things, like, almost back to back to each other. Like, they're yes. having a conversation. She's like, oh, yes, dear. He was, like, very good at it, talking about <laughs> sexual encounters. And then she's like, oh, well, yes, he very he very much loved horses, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was just facts about Augustus. <laughs> it's just facts, yeah. Nothing. It was not graphic. It just was boom, 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 boom. <laughs> But um, when Miss Radley says that he was very fond of horses, she actually looks up to find a house hidden in a horse. (laughs) So the sisters are like, okay, we're going to have our work cut out for us. Um, Simone actually leaves and goes back to her cottage that she's staying in. She calls Yvette and they actually start talking about adoption instead of IVF. 
so in the next part, Stu shows up. He's like basically stalking Star. He's out on parole. And he is standing in the street shouting at Star to come down and talk to him. Star is shouting back. They're basically waking up the whole neighborhood. Um, Simone and Maggie kind of walk up and they watch what's going to happen. And they want to go intervene, but they also want to see how Star is going to handle herself. But then Simone can't take it anymore. And she finally goes up there and threatens to call his probation officer. He leaves after... Simone gives him some train fare and she basically says, never come back here again. She doesn't want you anymore. Move on with your life. And then the sisters all head back to look for more houses at the shop. They kind of start making a game of finding the houses. So Star dusts off the gramophone and the shop fills with music while they look for these houses. When they reach the end of an aisle, they refill their wine glasses and they drink as they look more. Which I I think would be hysterical to go on a scavenger hunt for Monopoly houses while people just kept drinking wine. Well, and they also call out any unusual finds that they see. So they'll be like, chamber pot, a didgeridoo, there's a tribal staff. (laughs) (laughs) But it actually works. They all entertain themselves and they're able to find all of the houses. And they're not bickering during this for once. Um, They kind of all have like a bonding moment and Simone opens up about her struggles with IVF. (laughs) The next morning, absolutely everybody wakes up hungover. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Um, They go to give Vanessa the bag of houses and then Vanessa gives them the key to the lockbox. But nobody knows where the box is. They have to search the property for the box. And I will say, I saw this coming. Like, because there's something that they said where immediately, like, they start telling the story of where it's found, like, prior to them finding it. And I was like, it's there. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Star decides to go back to the shop. Maggie goes to the grocery shop to check on Joe. And Simone goes to Betty's to get some breakfast. Betty's is like the local restaurant basically and then star begins helping duncan in the appraisal process um they get a little flirty like friendly flirty like they're both vibing with each other i was here for it oh i'm so sorry (laughs) woo 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 (laughs) i was literally just breathing (laughs) I've done that before where you're just like having a normal day and all of a sudden your body's like, we don't know how to breathe. (laughs) You're like, what is this? So uh, back to the story. (laughs) When Maggie goes back to the shop, um, Joe kind of seduces her and they close up shop for a few minutes and it's very closed door thing. And they all three meet back up at the shop. Maggie decides to open up to them about her eviction notice and how she's also not going to have a job. Um, she decides that it would be best if she moves into Augustus's flat for now, 
But she's hiding all this from her kids. Yes, the kids still don't know. <clears throat> um, it does help that Patrick will be back at university, so he won't necessarily need a room immediately. So it'll just be her and Verity who will have to share the flat. And it's a very small place. Uh, Verity shows up at the shop and sh uh, Maggie sends Verity off to play in the treehouse that Joe had built for the sisters when they were still children coming to stay with him in the summer. When it was time to go, Maggie has to go climb into the treehouse to get Verity. But while she's up there, she realizes that the lockbox is up there. So she and Duncan, and it's like, it's not a little lockbox either. Like from what they described, it's kind of like a treasure chest type thing. Like it was, it was pretty hefty. Yeah, but in my brain, I was seeing <clears throat> this like about the size of a laptop metal box. Cause it had. Well, it was, it was awkward enough where Maggie couldn't get it by herself. Yeah. She had to get Duncan to help. Even Verity was like, I can't get it. It's heavy. Yeah. Um, but, and you know, it's another one of those things we've talked about before where I would like a book may describe something in detail, but what I saw was like this. Yeah. Grayish silver, <laughs> like lock box with paperwork inside of it. That was about the size of a laptop, but it would still yeah. be heavy. I mean, it's metal I, in my head. It was at least. <clears throat> um, so they get it back downstairs and Simone opens it inside is a ledger. Uh, which a ledger is basically it was everything that was at the shop, just not necessarily in an, any kind of order. So they at least had something to go off of, which made Duncan's job a little easier. It wouldn't surprise me, though, with the, how they keep describing their dad, that it was not being any sort of order. Yeah. Yeah. And then inside there was also a photo album of the girls as children. Uh, Patrick shows up at the shop and he and Simone kind of get into it. He storms out and then Star texts him and they find out he's at Betty's. So Simone and Star go to Betty's to try and make things better. Um, Patrick and Simone basically promise to try to make bridges and be more friendly with each other because Patrick Patrick is kind of jaded because Simone has always been standoffish and never offers to help with anything. He thinks it's unfair that his mom, Maggie is always responsible. He's the, she's the responsible one, even though she has a whole business to run and two kids. Um, he sees Simone and star as not caring as much. Yeah. He makes comment of them. Like you come in when it's convenient to you, you do things when it's convenient to you. My mom is always here. And one of the arguments that I really hated as someone who is a multiple sibling, I hate the argument of like, well, but you're like, she's, I think at one point, and it all starts over there. She's talking about how like dusty their dad's shop is. And she's talking about, well, you think you could have just popped over and like cleaned things up. Like it comes out of nowhere kind of. Yeah. Honestly. Um, but and they all just assume, like, well, she's already here. Like, we don't need to. She's already there. Like, you know. They're kind of putting the responsibility of caring for Augustus on Maggie, even though she has a whole life without Augustus. Just like they do. Yeah. <clears throat> um, let's see. Where are we? Duncan and Star kind of flirt more. 
Um, I kind of liked those interactions. They were cute. Um, Verity and Joe show up at the shop and interrupt their hunt for the lockbox, but they're not, they've already found it, obviously. Right. But Verity is like absolutely demanding that they hang up their Christmas decorations at home. Maggie is like, yeah, you're right. We're this close to Christmas. We need to put up the decorations. And Maggie invites everyone back to their house to hang decor and to eat Christmas biscuits, which is really just frozen biscuits that Maggie. They're cookies. But they're called biscuits. They're cookies. I I know this. Okay, I was like, no. (laughs) I know this, but they're called biscuits. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they their their biscuit is our cookie. Yes. <laughs> okay, I, I didn't know. I was like, no, Bianca. <laughs> but they're basically just like Pillsbury things frozen. that that's they're pre-frozen things that Maggie yes. has made before that she just pops in the freezer and was like, these will be Christmas biscuits. <laughs> hey, whatever works, Maggie. You got a lot going on right now. <laughs> but very Verity is very excited about the, all of this and. She invites everyone, including Duncan. And Duncan is like, but I just found this amulet from the medieval times. And Star says, if it's been around that long, it can wait till Monday. (laughs) Sweet Duncan. (laughs) He is so obsessed with the antiques. I love it. Well, but it comes it comes to be a good thing. So, yes. So while Maggie is getting the decor out of the attic, Joe and Patrick get the tree inside and Duncan puts himself to work by sewing Verity's pomegranate costume for the school play. Which, okay, I love this. Like they're freaking out. They're like, she's a freaking pomegranate. I got to make her costume. And it's really funny because I also would be like, excuse me, Caden, you're a what? I got to (laughs) do what? And he's like. She's like, I got to make this, and I don't know when I'm going to have the time. I don't even know how to do this. And he's just like, I picture him, like, kind of, like, on the corner of the conversation, lifting his finger and being like, actually, like, um, I I can help. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I can sew. And then Maggie is like, oh, thank God. (laughs) That's one less thing off her plate. And apparently when he gets done with it, it's, like, phenomenal. Yes, he did a great job. And in all of these interactions, we can see how evident it is that Verity looks to Joe as like a parental figure. And it kind of warms Maggie's heart a little bit. It does, but I kept getting irritated with Maggie. And I think it's because in my head, I pictured Joe as like uh, Tyler Haynes or Hines from Hallmark Channel. Do you know who I'm talking about? No. Okay, I'll send you a picture in just a second. But anyway, I was picturing Tyler Tyler Hines, and I was thinking to myself, because she keeps going back and forth on, like, her and Joe are very much a will they, won't they. Like, they are together, like, together. But she's, like, so reserved on having a relationship with him. But in my head, I just saw, like, good old boy Tyler Hines, and I was like, why are you fighting this? (laughs) Stop it! Uh, let's see. After they get done putting up all the decorations, Duncan is walking Star home. She invites Duncan inside as like a hee hee ha ha. Let's see how this goes. And Duncan is like, 
no, it's okay. I'm just going to walk you home. And he kisses her on the cheek and tells her goodnight. And Star is just like starstruck. She doesn't know how to react because no one has ever treated her like so sweetly before. Yeah, Stu wasn't like this. I was like, oh, she loves Duncan. Yeah. (laughs) The sisters all meet up the next morning at Betty's to discuss planning the solstice. Um, after they get done, Maggie heads back and she finds out that Joe has set up a, quote, tent of intent, end quote, in the woods so that he and Maggie can talk uninterrupted. I thought this was so stinking cute. It was so sweet. And Joe essentially promises to never leave like everyone else in Maggie's life has. Um, he's not going to abandon her. Um, which I don't think I mentioned this. There's a little bit of an age difference. Maggie is, I think, about 10 years older than Joe. And Maggie takes that a lot harder than Joe does. Um, if I, I don't know if they ever said her age specifically, but I was, as her children's ages, I was assuming that she probably wasn't much older than me, but that she was already probably, I don't know, I was going to say like 44, 40. So yeah. like, I was thinking she was like early 40s and that maybe he's like 35 36 like he's he's not like in his 20s but I think that's what I was going with in my head though when they're having this conversation yeah well because when we get Maggie's perspective we also get how critical she is of herself like she's pointing out all of her flaws that's why I thought she was my age and (laughs) <laughs> and they even talk about but, like men being like started sorry boys if you're here or women that don't want to hear this but i think there's even a comment about how she's kind of starting to change and i was yeah. like okay yeah. okay so yes it's also very evident that maggie will not have any more children and she she wants joe to have that experience um that's a big point of contention for maggie not for joe no, Joe doesn't seem to care. He's like, I'm good, which I think happens a lot. I think it's a kind of a trope when there's like an age gap or a single mom. And even if there's not an age gap, it happens in like Hallmark and all kinds of different stories. And I'm I'm OK with it. So there's some tropes that happen in these feel goods that I'm like uh, overdone. But I think I'm kind of OK with the it makes me irritated and I want to yell at her. You stupid. But it's a, <laughs> It's a valid argument that I'm sure probably does come up in real life where people say, oh, it doesn't matter. And then later it does. Yeah. Um, But we go back to the village. Everyone in the village wants to help out with the solstice celebration. They're all super excited that it's coming back. I love this. So throughout the book, you're introduced to different characters. Um, I, I needed a a list <laughs> of everybody to know who they were and what they were in charge of. Cause it, it comes and goes so fast. They're like, Mr. So-and-so <clears throat> says he has this and Mr. Miss uh, yeah. So-and-so says she has, it's basically all people throughout the village that you meet more than one time in the book. They're maybe yeah. not significant enough that you like really, really need to know. But at the same time, I completely understand what you're saying. It really made me have that feeling. Um, there's a British television show I like. There's a couple I like. But that, the one specifically I was thinking of, Agatha Raisin, where, like, everyone in the village knows each other. 
yeah. and then they have like the village fates and stuff. Everybody pitches in. And yeah. I thought that was really. I could definitely see this done as a very good made-for-TV British uh, business movie. Honestly. Well, and like not to bring up the best TV show of all time, but it was very Gilmore Girls esque in that way, where everyone in the town knew everybody and they knew what everyone was able to do. So they would just like show up and mm-hmm. be like, "Okay, you're doing this, and you're doing this, and you're doing this." <clears throat> so it was just very Stars Hollow. Um, let's see. Star and Simone are fighting. They fight throughout the book. I don't remember what this fight was about, <laughs> but they, they fight a lot. They have a lot of fights, and I think it's just their difference in, like, where they're at in life right now. Yeah. And Simone just, like, eventually breaks. Um, Simone follows Star back to the apartment, and Simone tells her the IVF story from, like, the very beginning. And they kind of have their first for real bonding moment just for Mm -hmm. themselves for the very first time. So after that talk, star calls a family meeting and she openly volunteers to be a surrogate for Simone. It kind of takes Simone by surprise because she would never ask that of anybody, especially someone that she knew. Um, So she heads back to her Airbnb to think, um, she tells Yvette, and then a little while what a little while later, Yvette calls Star, <clears throat> um, basically attacking Star for lack of a better word, like because Yvette knows how Star is. Yeah, it's like I'm, you're you're acting impulsively. You haven't thought this through. Why would you promise this to Simone? And I I was a little irritated at this interaction, and I guess. In one sense, she's defending her spouse, right? Because she doesn't want to see Simone get hurt. She's watched Simone have so much heartbreak with trying to have a child. But, like, I kind of also was like, well, where do you get off telling her you're acting impulsively? And I get it. She's done a a myriad of things throughout her life where she has acted impulsively. But that's what has gotten her to where she is to this moment. So it was very, like, hmm. Well, and then Star has to be like, actually, this is not impulsive. I've actually been donating my eggs for quite a while. Right. This is not new for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, which she was doing it because Star never felt the calling to be a mother. So she wanted to help other women be mothers. So that's why she has been donating her eggs. Um, let's see. The next couple of chapters are just them planning the solstice. Um, you see the sisters' relationships deepen the more they talk and interact with each other. Which I thought was really um, sweet. I really enjoyed it's, it. And it's the reason, like, he wanted them to bring this back together. So seeing it come together was really, um, really cool. Yeah. Augustus knew that his daughters lived vastly different lives. And he just wanted them to know that they had each other they'll always have each mm-hmm. other uh, maggie convinces patrick to dig a pit at augustus's place for a huge bonfire and after he digs the pit maggie works up the courage to tell patrick that she and joe are official and serious <clears throat> um that chapter kind of leaves off there it kind of leaves you hanging and then we switch mm-hmm. to duncan and star 
um, Duncan is, he got a huge splinter in his hand. Like I wouldn't even call it a splinter from the way it's described. Like it's a straight up stick. <laughs> um, star gets it out and then Duncan faints. I was like, Hey, it's me. Oh, Duncan. <laughs> And then when he comes to, he's like, what happened? And Star's like, you had a splinter. There's a hole in your hand. Don't look at it. And Duncan is like, oh, thanks. You saved me. And he kisses Star for the first time. And it was adorable. And I need everyone to read that part. It's fantastic. Oh, I love Duncan and Star. They they are the stars of this book. (laughs) They were my favorite as well. Yes. Um. There's more preparations for the solstice. Everyone's planning what they're going to do. Um, it's very evident that Duncan and Star are starting to like get serious feelings for each other. So Star meets Duncan at the treehouse in the shop. And she tells him that she has volunteered to be a surrogate for Simone if she so chooses. He doesn't take it very well. Um, He asks for time to think about it, and then he's like, well, I have to go back home to help my sister with Christmas, so I'm going to think about this, and I will talk to you when I'm back in town. And Star is just like, well, crap. I was frustrated, but this is that, I think it does follow a lot of, like, those kind of like Hallmark feel good movies in the sense that there's always something that happens between said couple. In this instance, we have multiple couples, Um, but there's always something that happens, right? That's either like a miscommunication or um, just like a disagreement that you have to see them work through. But I hated that it was this, like, I don't know. There was a lot of discussion of like, I mean, you've got three different, like, Maggie, not going to have any more kids. She's having a disagreement with the man that she refuses to call her boyfriend because she wants him to be able to have children. He doesn't want any. And then the next couple is desperately, desperately trying to have children. It's not happening. It's causing a rift in their marriage. Like, it's very, very hard time. And then the third couple, it's like they're just kind of, like, feeling each other out, not even sure what they want to do. And she decides... She wants to carry a baby for someone else. And he's like, well, what? It's just, it is a lot in the sense of like the different times in life of being a parent. Yeah. Which I mean, I can understand Duncan's stance. Like he and Star have only known each other for a couple of weeks. Right. Um, a couple of months I, max, I think. Yeah. Like I... I was never in the situation, so I can't imagine starting to date someone and then let's say he tells me that he is willingly donating sperm or something like I it's hard to put myself in those shoes. That's a difficult right. situation. <clears throat> so, like, I understand but he he didn't communicate very well. He was just kind of started closing off and was like, OK, right. bye. Yeah. See you later. Peace I out. That's probably what I think that's really what made me angry is it wasn't he was like oh, well, we haven't even been on a date. I appreciate you telling me. Um, here's what I think. He was like, oh, never mind. Turtle, turtle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. um, let's see. The next day, they're basically putting the finishing touches up for the party. 
And the girls decide to open up Augustus's garden as well because it has never before been seen by the public. Uh, so they're like getting the garden all pruned and ready for everyone to come look at the beautiful garden that Augustus had. Um, so a little bit earlier in the book, they had found a piece of art in the shop. <clears throat> and Duncan was like, I think this is a Hilliard which I have no idea if Hilliard is a real artist or not. I know nothing about art. I think it is. I'll go to Google. Okay. Um, but supposedly Hilliards are very valuable, and he thought that this piece could be valued at $200,000. So he was having it sent off for authentication. Um, they were kind of discussing if it was real, what was going to happen with that money, and who would get what and stuff like that. And Simone is kind of reflecting on how she has actually missed her sisters and the community that she has found there. Um, she's never really known anything like that before. And she starts to starts to see herself actually living in the village and not just visiting it. Uh, yes. Nicholas Hilliard was an English painter um, from he was uh, 1547 to 1619 from England. He was the first great native-born English painter of the Renaissance. Oh. The um, lyrical portraits raised the art of painting miniature portrait called Lemming in Elizabethan England. Yeah, yeah. So that'd be that'd be important if it was a Hilliard. Okay. Well, there's your fun fact for the day, ladies and gentlemen. The more you know. <laughs> so the the <coughs> night before. The night before the solstice is supposed to happen, a really bad storm comes through and absolutely destroys everything that they've worked so hard on. Like it, it basically looks like a, a tornado had come through from what they were describing. I had this happen to my Halloween decorations one year. I was devastated. So I get it. I get it. Yeah. I mean, they put all, the whole town put in all this work just for it to be destroyed literally the night before. Like there's no salvaging that. Um, Betty comes out and she says we're a community help will always be offered if you'd only ask I was like aw Betty because Maggie is just like having an absolute breakdown she's like I'm not going to have the solstice we're not going to get the the will and we're not going to get the money and I really need the money and she's just having like an existential crisis they all really need the money for like different reasons yeah and then in my notes, I put, Stu is back. <laughs> I know. I was like, what? Um, Stu shows back up. Um, he tells Star that he is voluntarily going into rehab. He apologizes for everything he has put her through. Um, and he's just kind of like, will you wait for me to get out of rehab? No. <laughs> well, Star... <laughs> I struggled this with this. As soon as he asked her, I was like, no, ma'am. And then I was like, that sounds so callous of me. But I was genuinely thinking, like, he's, stalk he's been stalking her, and he has created so many problems in her, in, in her life. And if it was drugs that caused it, I'm very sorry of that, and I want him to get clean. So it's, like, amazing that he's coming to her, because that's, like, the steps of when you're – healing from anything as you go to the people that you've wronged and say hey i'm going to get better um but i thought it was really selfish of him to expect her 
after everything he's done to wait. Yeah, yeah. And but Star is. Thing, but anyway. Well, well, Star doesn't just say no. She explains why she's saying no. She's very Star about it, basically. Yeah, and she has a moment in her monologue wise where I believe she can briefly considers it like briefly very briefly well she she's like but that wouldn't be fair that wouldn't she can she can see a future where she does wait yeah but that future like she just kind of knows what's gonna happen she doesn't want that life for herself anymore um let's see she loves duncan (laughs) she does love duncan uh patrick walks simone back to the airbnb um, he distracts Simone by asking how serious Maggie is with Joe. And Which at first I was I like, say, bro, you, why are you asking? You know, like, let your mama. Yeah. Let's, but you're we, grown now. Let your mama have fun. <laughs> but we find out the reason Patrick asked this is because Yvette pops up at the Airbnb. Which she, I expected to happen at some point, for sure. Yeah. Um. She came to surprise Simone and see all the hard work on the solstice. Um, while she's there, Simone confesses that she might actually want to move to Rowan Thorpe. And Yvette is like, what? <laughs> um, there's a lot to consider because they bo- they're both very professional. Yvette is a uh, psychologist mm-hmm. and Simone is like a uh, physical therapist type person. Mm-hmm. And they both have their own legit practices set up in the city so uprooting their entire life would be a a hectic a mess but raising a baby in the village where all your family is would be much better uh (laughs) this is part okay this part almost made me cry i'm not gonna lie um star is asleep and she is awoken by a thunk 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 she's like what in the world Duncan is throwing rocks at the window and yelling, I don't care. And Star runs out to the street and they like have their moment. And he's like, I don't care. I'll be with you either way. And so Star takes Duncan back up to her room and dot, dot, dot. We all know. (laughs) What do we know, Miranda? (laughs) Bianca, no, no. What we know. I will say this book was very closed door and I appreciated that. You didn't uh, care about the woo woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to. <laughs> so uh, Simone tells Maggie and Star that they are thinking of moving to Rowan Thorpe. Duncan gets to inform them that that art piece is in fact a Hilliard. And with that money, assuming they can sell it for a decent price, it means they can keep the house and Maggie and Star won't be homeless anymore. Nobody's going to be homeless. No. Everyone's going to have a house. Maggie still won't have a job, but she'll at least have a house. Um, and then Patrick kind of barges into the shop and he is visibly angry because he found the eviction notice that Maggie had been keeping from him. And Patrick had done some digging and he discovers that Joe is actually her landlord's nephew. So 
Maggie and Patrick kind of accuse him of trying to like get them out of the house faster so that the landlord could take over. And Maggie is absolutely heartbroken. But we had already gotten a story earlier about him and an uncle. He didn't say which uncle, like where he kind of already told her, like I had a falling out with my uncle because he did this to my mother, blah, blah, blah. And so I immediately went, oh, God, this is this is miscommunication. This. Yes. We have a miscommunication trope. Yep. Which, listen, sometimes they irritate me, but they work. So. (sighs) (laughs) And like the next few chapters are basically Maggie getting mad at Joe for not telling her that he was. The landlord's nephew and Joe is like well I am but I don't have anything to do with the business like you have to believe me and Maggie basically just throws him out and Joe literally leaves the village he's just like okay you don't believe me I'm going to find a new life for myself I was so frustrated with Joe I was like wait I have fought so hard for you this whole book what are you doing come back Tyler Hines come back Um, and then after, after Maggie and Joe have it out, then Maggie and Patrick have it out. Cause she's like, you could have handled this so much better. You could have come to me and not made a huge show in front of everybody. Like you've, you've aired out everyone's dirty laundry in front of basically half the town. I was really mad at Patrick's little butt. Cause he's not much much older than Caden. So I was like, Oh my God, I would, I would be like, this is none of your business. Yeah, yeah. I am still the parent here. Like, oh. <laughs> Which, I mean, I understand his frustration, but he definitely went about it the wrong way. Like, And I understand wanting to protect your mother. But, yeah, there was a lot about it that I was like, really? Yeah. Um, Patrick goes to Simone for help. He realizes how badly he has messed up. Um, Betty interrupts everything and says that while Gilbert, the guy who owns the lease, uh, while he may own that lease, the freehold is actually owned by the North Estate. And then Betty gets mad that Maggie had kept everything so secretive because she could have helped out from the very beginning. But no, Maggie had to go and try to do everything herself like she always does. So now there's this whole entire mess. Um, Patrick then tries to contact Joe. But not only did he leave town, but he also paid off the rest of his rent. So he literally has no strings left in the village. He's also not answering his phone. It goes straight to his voicemail. So mad. At um, Dun- Duncan says that he actually ran into Joe on his run that morning. Joe was headed back to France on the ferry at 11 o'clock. So Simone and Patrick load up in a van and they go off to get him back. Um, While they're on the way to get Joe, Simone and Patrick kind of have a heart-to-heart. Patrick, uh, words just left me. (laughs) He basically basically says that he likes Joe and he has nothing against him. Um, He knows that he handled the situation incorrectly. He feels like he's too old to have a proper relationship with Joe as a stepdad, and he feels like he has missed out on having that father figure, but he wants Verity to have that opportunity. Which that made me kind of go, oh, 
like yeah. he didn't even realize what he was doing. But I love that when they're having this conversation with Patrick, they're like, do you let your mother tell you who to date? Like, would you ever? And he was like, oh, God, no. Yeah. And I wanted to be like, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Although I have told my mother who not to date once. Listen, I was justified. So <laughs> just saying. I feel like Patrick thinks at that moment he was justified. So I kind of get it. So there, there's this, uh, I don't for lack of a better word, historical society. I forget what the book actually called them. But Betty is part of the, And they basically keep a record of everything, of all the property in mm-hmm. the village and who it belongs to and how it's handed down and stuff like, like that. It'd be like planning and zoning for us. Like, where does it fall? Who does it belong to? What's the property yeah. line? Yeah. Um. So Betty is at the pub detaining Gilbert, who is the landowner. Yvette convinces Maggie to get to the pub, not under the pretense of talking to Gilbert, just to get her out of the house. Mm-hmm. And this group of the group of women who are part of that society, they confront Gilbert and inform him that though he may own the lease, it is written into the bylaws of Rowanthorpe that, quote, as per the covenants placed on this land by Patience North, no North woman may be evicted from any property which bears the name North in the freehold. Vanessa then chimes in. The village is ready to subsidize a mortgage in the form of a long-term loan in Maggie's name so that she can purchase the lease from Gilbert. There's a little bit of back and forth, but Gilbert eventually gives in. And all the women are like, yeah, we won. We beat the men. <laughs> Because he does try this, like, well, I could get more, and I could get lawyers, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, But he eventually gives in. He's like, okay, I'm not going to fight this. So, that means that Maggie will not have to move out, and she gets to keep her business. Which, for the life of me, the whole time, I kept going, what was Maggie's business again? What was what? What was The whole time, I kept, we keep just talking about... Her business, I was like, what was her business again? Oh, she owns a grocery store. Oh, that's right, because it's like um, organic uh, local grocer type thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, like like nicer farmer's market. Like, she, it's like an actual grocery store, but kind of farmer's market-ish. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, Jerry, the guy that runs the pub, um, he comes to Maggie and is like, hey, have this message for you and joe had recorded a message on the ipad for maggie and he joe was basically explaining himself and apologizing um at the same time she's watching that we switch to simone and patrick and this is a very hallmark thing to happen so simone and patrick arrive at the port to find that all the ferries have been canceled due to weather and they're like searching the port but they can't find joe anywhere and literally, they get back in the van and are going to drive away because they just can't keep looking. They accidentally run into him. Like, I was like, yes, my Hallmark trope is happening. Finally. I love when that happens. Because <laughs> okay. Tyler Hines needs to come back. <laughs> they convince Joe to come back to the village. And on the way back, Joe and Patrick kind of like make a truce, basically. And is like, we both want what's best for Maggie. 
we both care for her and love her. We're going to do what we can to make this work. Right. Everyone shows back up and Joe and Maggie make up and <laughs> the whole village is like, finally, they're public. We can stop talking about oh, them in I secret. Know. I love that <laughs> when they were like, well, we're dating and everybody's like, we know. <laughs> like, <laughs> duh. <laughs> We were waiting for you to tell yourselves that. And what I think is so funny is it's, we've talked about this like time after time after time. Like, I think it's a repetitive thing for this pod. Communication. (laughs) Because the whole freaking village is like, oh yeah, we knew you were together. And she's back here going, but should I? I don't know what people will think. I I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should do this. And the whole village is like, oh my God, just admit it already. (laughs) (laughs) So the solstice celebration finally begins. The whole village is celebrating. Maggie makes a toast for everyone and especially for Augustus. Um, Vanessa stands up and she has one final letter to read from Augustus. Um, It's a very sweet letter. It It is. To to surmise it, it basically just says that he's proud of his girls. Um, He's always loved them. He always knew that. They could love each other given the chance, and he's glad that they were able to put aside their differences and put on this celebration for everybody. You know, I'm glad that I'm really glad with Augustus they didn't go with the trope that happens a lot of times where, like, he wasn't a good dad and they're all here together because he's died and he wasn't good. And I'm glad that for once he was a good person and he was a good dad and he lived a good life. Because I'm yeah, sure you've definitely. seen it too. Like I'm, I'm sure you've seen it a lot, especially in the type of books and movies that we both like. You, it happens where like the person was like, "Oh, they've passed away. Why are we even all here together?" Kind of thing. And I really like that from beginning and end. It actually was like a lot of positive things. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Oh, um, there's an epilogue at the end of the book. Um, it's for five years later. The winter solstice celebration has become a tradition for the village once again. Star did, in fact, become a surrogate. Uh, She gave them Ava, who is now three years old. But then a few months later, she found out she was pregnant with Duncan's baby. Starby fertile. (laughs) They named her Primrose. I love it. Also, also, I just realized... Who I was picturing, I found his name, who I was picturing every time we talk about Duncan. Okay. Drew Fuller. He's from, he does a lot of Harmonic movies, but he's also from Army Wives, Charmed. Ah, I can see that. Yeah, he did the, there is a specific Hallmark movie where he was like, he wasn't even a main character, but they had him do these glasses and this. Like I said, blazer and sweater. And for some reason, immediately when they described Duncan and the quirks, I just saw him. I can see that. That's a good, that's good casting. Okay. Um, let's see. Simone and Yvette move permanently to Rowan Thorpe. They've also adopted a four-year-old named Natalia. So they have two children. Um, Star and Duncan have reopened North Novelties and Curios. Star actually went back and got a degree in art history. All of the sisters are in love with both their partners and each other. Um, 
in the author's acknowledgments at the end of the book, I wrote this down. Um, she wrote, kindness is everything. My heart is full. My heart was full. And fun fact, Jenny Bayless is a formal professional baker. I did not know that about her. I was like, oh, fun fact. And at the end of the book, there's actually a little discussion guide that you can go through. Um, I did not because I was tired of reading the book by the time I got done with it. <laughs> I wanted to move on to something else. <laughs> I don't. I had the Kindle. I don't think that was in mine. Oh, I had the Kindle, too. Maybe I bought a different version. Oh, no. Or maybe I just was like, my book's done. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there is a discussion guide. I think there's like 10, 15 questions that you can use to discuss with like a book group or something. That would be really neat. Yeah, I liked it. I did. So I that, that is A December to Remember by Jenny Bayless. Like I said, I gave it four stars. Um, it was pretty cute. You gave it four on Goodreads with the caveat that if you could have done three and a half, you would have. Yes. And I gave it five with honestly the same caveat as you. If I could have done four and a half, because like I said, I got a little, there's, there's moments where I was getting irritated, but I understand that like, those are just what those tropes are, right? Yeah. Like, but they work for this book. And typically I'm not a fan of an epilogue where they're like five years later, everyone is happy, blah, 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 blah. And they have all these babies and but in this instance, I like it because it closed out that, like, they are still a happy family and they've come to, like, learn how to all live together. Comfortably. Yeah. So I was OK with that. It made me willing to read other works by Jenny Bayless, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She only has four right now. So if I get to go in, who knows? No, I'm busy. I, I've read oh. 12 Dates of Christmas. It was <clears throat> recommend that one start there <laughs> um now we're gonna get into our recent reads and acquisitions mm-hmm. um you want to go first you want me to go first oh i'm sorry um i'll go first because <laughs> my recent reads apparently had you dying <laughs> so we all know miranda likes to read the little cute cozy mystery type things Mm-hmm. Well, she found some that are Christmas themed, and the title an of these books. Series. It's a book of six right now, which that like one of them came out this year. So I am sure there could be more. Um, There's six books. They are the year-round Christmas mystery series. I'm on. I just finished book five today, actually. Who are they by? Or are Vicky, they different people? No, it's all the same author. Her name's okay. Vicki Delaney. I'm just going to write the year-round Christmas mystery series. Yeah. In the notes. But if I, you want to tell them all the individual titles, it will I make will, me giggle. <laughs> and she apparently has other books. Uh, and I like her writing and her writing style. And, you know, a lot of cozy mysteries, I can usually figure out either the entire ending or part of it there's been multiples of hers where like I might figure out like because it seems like she has like a main mystery and then like a little side thing that everybody thinks is related but it's not like the characters think the two things are related but they're not and I have usually been able to figure out part but not all and I like that um but 
Bianca texted me, I think after I had read the first two, or maybe it was the first three, and you were dying. So book number one is Resty Murdered Gentleman. <laughs> I liked it a lot. I gave it four stars. Um, it's like 294 pages, super quick read. Book number two is We Wish You a Murderous Christmas. <laughs> I gave it three stars. Now, listen, some of these I gave three stars because I can't do three and a half. And I really liked the book a lot. But there were things like I figured it out kind of thing. That's why. Yeah. Three still means I liked it. It's, uh, again, 294 pages. Book three is when Bianca was like, what's going on over there? Uh, Hark the Herald Angels Slay. (laughs) That one killed me. And there's a theme. I'm sensing a theme with her because this one is also 294 pages. Oh, she's very precise. Yes, she is. <laughs> Book four is Silent Night, Deadly Night at 303 pages. That was a little longer. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, five I just finished was Dying in a Winter Wonderland. 291. And I will begin tomorrow. Have yourself a deadly little Christmas. <laughs> I love it. I love it. These are great, though, because um, I was like, I am going to do my thing again this year, and I am going to do Christmas holiday-themed books is what I wanted to go with. And there was a series that I had been reading that I really thought there were more out um and when I went to be like yeah that should like take care of what I need to read um it did not because book number four is what I needed to read and that's all that's out that one also made Bianca laugh that is Jacqueline Frost stalking around the Christmas tree can you repeat that you went a little muffled oh uh book four of the one that I thought I had a whole bunch more to uh, was Stalking Around the Christmas Tree by Jacqueline Frost. Jacqueline Frost. I did not spell Jacqueline properly. <laughs> that is the Christmas Tree Farm Mystery Series. It's book number four. And I really thought there was more for me to read. But that's how I ended up finding the one that Bianca was like, you okay over there? <laughs> Well, I just, I was, I saw your posts on Goodreads and I was like, what is this? <laughs> a lot of fun. That's what <laughs> So, um, year round Christmas mystery. It's in this town in New York, Rudolph, um, where it is literally Christmas time, like all year round. Um, in December, it's like snow lined streets, very merry and bright. And our main character of the store owns a boutique, um, like, Christmas store. But she does it where, like, she also, at Thanksgiving, she has, like, more just, like, tablescape Thanksgiving stuff. But it's very um, curated. And it's really funny because, like, one of her, like, you know, there's always somebody that they bicker with in these cozies, right? There's always somebody that they're like, oh, and it's her store neighbor, meaning the lady that has the store next to her that does, like, stuff you'd find in, like, Dollar General Christmas kind of stuff. Yeah. They make comment where she's like, her ornaments are two ninety nine. 
<laughs> but um, a murder ends up happening, obviously. Um, and just like most cozies, our main character gets herself involved. What I will say is very different if you are a cozy reader, because um, I know we have a couple of listeners that also do cozies. If you're a cozy reader, typically what always happens is the police are either inept, which I don't particularly love that trope, or they're the love interest, which I don't necessarily have a problem with, but I think it's overdone. And what I absolutely love about the series that Vicki Delaney does is the um, detective that she has throughout the entire series many interactions with is actually a newcomer to the city and is a single mom, um, female detective, not love interest or anything like that, um, that is like trying to make a new name for herself because she saw too much murder in New York and she didn't want to be, she wanted to raise a daughter in New York City where all this murder happens and she comes to a small town to be a detective and ends up solving murders. Okay. But I love that it's not, like I said, it's not an inept police officer and it's not a love interest police officer in this one. And I really enjoyed that because, as, as I said, I know you've only done a couple of cozies. I don't think I've done any cozies, you honestly. Okay, uh-huh. I thought for some reason you'd read like one or two. But that is a huge like thing that happens, even in like the paranormal cozies or just whatever. It A lot of times you'll have where they're in truth, like they're either a love triangle, will they, won't they, or their actual love interest is a police officer. And I absolutely love that it is not in this one. Oh, cool. Do you have any acquisitions you want to mention? Or are those your readings and acquisitions? Those are my readings and acquisitions because I purchased them on the Kindle to be able to read them. Gotcha. I'm also in the process. I guess I can tell you guys this. So I've been trying to limit acquisitions. One, because it's Christmas. Two, because I just moved. But three, I live in a very small village now. I live in a village of 1900. Um, But we have a really nice library, actually. And I, at the first of the year, am going to be scheduling a meeting um, with one of the ladies in charge of the library um to take some of my excess acquisitions because we know Miranda has excess acquisitions and I'm trying to <laughs> set up a um an English section in our village's library so. oh nice not necessarily so that I can go check them out and have access to English books at our library but what am I going to do with these and yeah. I know that at the school here in the village they do teach English so I thought I'm gonna so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do that I will keep you guys updated that's my I mean, that's a book goal of mine for the new year. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. Oh, yeah. Well, some of my I'll do my recent reads first and then okay. I'll get into acquisitions. Um, I'm currently reading slash I only have like 20 pages left. I was trying to finish this before we recorded. Just didn't happen. <laughs> but it's called A Winter's Promise by Christelle Davos. It's part of the Mirror Visitor series. I saw you reading that. I was very interested. It's actually, it was first published in French. Um, so it is translated from French to English. Is it translate um, okay? Mostly, Are you still yeah. reading it? Okay. There's, there's a few things 
or like spots that mm-hmm. I can tell has been translated. It doesn't flow well in English. Okay. Like I kind of have to sit there and think about it. But um, yeah, it's good. It's a it's a fantasy. Um, I so far I recommend it. I'm not quite done with it, but I think I am going to continue the series. I got it through the library, so I will get the rest of them through the library. Perfect. Um, the next three that I'm mentioning have been um, gifts and or loans from shout out to Sabrina. Hey, Sabrina. Um, she lent me a book called In Five Years by Rebecca Searle. Oh, I'm going to look that up. Um, Sabrina said she cried multiple times reading this. So I was like, great. It's going to be sad. Love that for me. But she really wants me to read this. So I'm going to try to get to it as soon as possible. Um, she gifted me Wrong Place, Wrong Time by Gillian McAllister. Oh. Um, it's another Reese's Book Club pick, so I do have high hopes because Reese has not let me down yet. The In Five Years was a Goodreads uh, Choice Award uh, and a nominee for Best Romance of 2020. Oh, nice. It is a Good Morning America Book Club pick. I've read a couple of theirs. They have pretty good ones, too. Yeah, they, uh, I've only read two of theirs, I think, but theirs are usually really good as well. Yeah. Um, the next one was also a gift. It is Foul Lady Fortune by Chloe Gong. Oh, I read that. It's, it's, um, it's a YA book. I'm super excited about it. I'm, yeah, it sounds right up my alley. Then my next acquisition is actually a loan from the library. It is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. Yes. Um, I was looking up, I've been in the mood for fantasy recently, so I've been looking up lists of like the best fantasy books to read. Mm-hmm. And this was this was always in the top five to ten somewhere. It's but really it's good. it's thick. Yeah, it's a chonker. It's like a thousand pages. It's how much is this? Which the type is pretty small. This one is seven hundred and eighty-two. Oh, they condensed it. I just looked on Goodreads because I remember it being a chonker and it says it's like a thousand pages. So they must have found a way to well i will say the print is pretty small so i know that's going to take me a while to get through good thing i have a year to read it (laughs) i remember it being really good i have high hopes for it um but the reason i'm reading a winter's promise is like you I'm kind of going on theme in that i'm reading stuff that is either set in the winter time or in Mm -hmm. like cold stuff and a winter's promise obviously it's winter you're not Um, necessarily doing christmas you're doing seasonal yes okay um it takes place in like the north pole (laughs) basically nice (laughs) so yeah i i want to get under a blanket while i'm reading it um one other one actually i'm going to mention two others that i have read since we last recorded um one is The Beautiful Ones by Silvia Moreno Garcia. Um, she is the author of Mexican Gothic. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my second book from this author. It is nothing like Mexican Gothic. I want to tell everyone that. Um, it is it is slightly fantasy. Like it's set in our world, but some people have like I don't even want to say powers because they're not really powers, but like they can move stuff without Abilities. touching them, basically. Yeah. <clears throat> um, they have telekinesis. 
But I was picturing it the way it's written. I kind of picture it like Bridgerton, like everyone's wearing like pretty dresses and the men wear like suits and stuff like that. Um, but they still have like electricity and stuff. So I didn't know where to place it in our timeline, but I just pictured everyone acting like Bridgerton. <laughs> I kind of like that, though. I don't know if you ever watched it, but they did this with the television show Gotham. Where, like, they had some modern day stuff, but they also dressed like it was kind of like maybe the 30s. And you were like, hmm, I'm not sure. I kind of dig that, though. That vibe of, like, it could be either or a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My last one I'll mention is Powerless by Lauren Roberts. Um, I read this one because uh, after reading Iron Flame... I was in a fantasy slump. I just wanted to read more fantasy. And everyone was saying, you need to read Powerless. Like, it was all over book talk. So I picked it up. I gave it four stars on Goodreads. If I could, Mm -hmm. I'd give it four and a half. Um, It was really, really good. The second one comes out sometime next year. I forget when. I don't think it was you. So I apologize if it was, but someone actually sent me a video on um, TikTok. May have been Kelly. Um, But they sent me a video and they were like, if you are kind of in a slump from reading uh, Fourth Wing Iron Flame and you want more of that, like here's like recommended ones. And there were several in there that I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And some I, I was already aware of and like have just been waiting to read. So <clears throat> there's a lot on book talk if you're in that slump too. Like I definitely recommend Powerless. It was awesome. Um, the second one is going to be called Reckless. Um, I describe Powerless as Fourth Wing meets Hunger Games. Okay. Like all of these people with abilities basically meet up and they're kind of supposed to fight to the death in some instances. I've never heard of this author either, but it looks like her only works are these two yes. books. And there's yes, be a this third. is all she's done. Interesting. I'm I'm kind of here for the authors like this that like that's all they've done. Or like the lady that wrote Wayward that we talked about earlier in the show, like she's only written Wayward. It was her, it's her first book. I'm loving finding these new authors that they're only like, I only have one book or I only have two books. And maybe that's because sometimes I find an author and I'm like, ooh, 30 books. Yeah, yeah. I have to be buried with all these books. That's how um, I had this discussion with uh, Susan last night at the Christmas party, Mm -hmm. but she came to me and was like, Bianca, guess what I just ordered? I ordered Cassandra Clare's book. And I was like, I've actually never read Cassandra Clare because she has like 50 books and I'm very intimidated by it. (laughs) We need to, we need her and Sabrina to talk because I talked (laughs) about this last time, but according to Sabrina, there is a correct order in which must, these must be read. Yes. That is, I, I, I thought I was going to get to it next year, so it's not going to happen. But, I mean, I thought I was going to get to it this year. Excuse me. It's not going to happen. So, next year, I'm doing the full Cassandra Clare. Which, happens. I will say, um, that, uh, I did pick up her other book, uh, the one that just came out, Swordcatcher. It's um, totally separate from. Yes, it's a, it's a brand new, it has nothing to do with any of her other books. So, I was like, okay, I can start that one. 
but I'm waiting on Sabrina. We decided we're going to do a tandem read with it together. So. I actually do really enjoy um, reading like kind of in tandem with a person. I also really thoroughly enjoyed the lag and literally it was less than a week, but still like I had just finished a book and getting like random messages from you where you're like, no, like, <laughs> there is something so fun about reading a book in close proximity to timeline wise, your, your book friend. I think you're welcome for that entertainment. <laughs> it is. No, it was, it's highly entertaining. Well, if you want to, you can follow me on Instagram. I am at style and freak. Um, you can also find me on TikTok under at Style and Freak. And be sure to follow our book Instagram. It is Bells with Books Podcast. Uh, and where can we find you, Miranda? We have the same Bells with Books um, handle on TikTok now as well. You fixed it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yay. And let me like, and I didn't do it the first time, so I don't know what it is, but it's fixed. Um, okay. I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Moms and Nerd. Of course, um, we are part of the Place to Be Nation pop experience here, or Place to Be Nation here on the pop feed. Um, So don't forget that we do have a Facebook group called um, Place to Be, where you can join everybody. There's a a little something for everyone. We just finished a um, best song of the 2000s tournament. That was a lot of fun. We've done breakfast food tournaments. Um, if you're into wrestling or TV shows or just different things, there's usually various conversations going on over there as well. And, of course, we wouldn't have a home if it wasn't for them. So go check the group out on Facebook. Um, anything you want to say to the boys and girls? Because, I mean, when we come back, it's going to be a whole new year. Yeah, for January, um, I'll go ahead and say we're not planning on covering a book. We are just mm-hmm. going to cover our um, wrap-ups and goals for the new year yeah. and um, some 2024 releases that we are excited for. So we'll lay down our favorites. We'll give you some new things to look forward to. And uh, until then, keep reading. Keep reading.